Good morning, everyone. Uh, the readings, um, John 21, verse 1 to 25, you'll find on page 769 um, in your pew Bibles. Okay, Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went down and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'll tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to reign alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to go, want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Uh, friends, let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for 
this uh, great passage from John's Gospel. We do pray that as we uh, apply our minds to it now, that uh, you would be granting us uh, insight and understanding. We pray also, Lord God, that by your spirit that you would be shaping our hearts, that we would be uh, men and women who would uh, love Jesus uh, with all of our hearts. And we pray in his name. Amen. So how much do you love Jesus? Uh, It's easy, I think, for us to say, I love Jesus. Uh, But what if your love for Jesus was put to the test? How would you go? Sometimes the test of our love for someone uh, happens when loving that person begins to cost us something. Uh, And in some parts of our world, Christians uh, do suffer because of their love for Jesus. Uh, Christians who suffer from persecution, uh, from imprisonment, from even death, because they love Jesus and they put him first in their lives. I met one man on one occasion who had spent a full decade of his life in jail because he preached the gospel. Uh, I met another man who wanted, who came to me because he'd heard the gospel and he wanted to start following Jesus, uh, even though his uncle, who was a Christian, had died in prison because he refused to obey the authorities when they told him to stop preaching the gospel. Imagine that. Uh, Would we truly love Jesus if uh, telling others about Jesus meant that we put uh, at risk our safety, our well-being, uh, even our very lives? Or as middle-class Australians who live in a free uh, society... Uh, What about giving up our comforts? What about giving up our securities? What about giving up our our ambitions uh, for the sake of loving Jesus first? How would we go? Do you truly love Jesus? Now, this is the question which which, uh, the, the disciple Peter was confronted with in the passage that Claire read, Uh, to us earlier on. So can I get you to open that up in your Bibles uh, at John chapter 21 and I'm going to just read the first three verses just to set the scene for us uh, where we're told that uh, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, this all takes place by the Sea of Galilee, which in some of your Bibles is referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. It was known by the two names, Uh, Tiberius being the Roman emperor at the time and they built a city on the western side of the lake and named it after him and some people started calling the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberius and so that's why it's a little bit different in uh, whatever version of your Bible you're looking at. And here we see that at least seven of the 11 disciples were there 
the reason why they were there by the Sea of Galilee or Sea of Tiberias was because earlier on at the empty tomb uh, they had met a, a rather mysterious young man and that uh, mysterious young man, a messenger from God, had told them that they uh, were to go and to meet Jesus uh, in Galilee. And so here they are, they're waiting for Jesus and uh, with nothing else much to do, if you're a fisherman, you by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, what do you want to do? Well, Peter says, I'm not sticking here doing nothing, I'm going fishing. And uh, the other disciple says, well, well, hang on a moment, we'll, we'll join you as well. So they uh, hopped into a fishing boat and went offshore and they fished all night and they caught how many fish? None. <laughs> a big, fat zero. Now, imagine the scene. It's uh, by this stage just now early morning. The, the sun is rising. So it's sort of like a dim kind of light. And uh, the, the boat is only 90 metres offshore, so it's not very far offshore, when there's a man who's standing on the shore who calls out to them. And he didn't call out saying, hey, guys, how's the fishing going? Uh, he actually knew how the fishing was going. And he says to them, hey, guys, uh, and that's how you'd understand uh, the word that he uses there. Uh, it's, hey, hey, guys, you haven't caught anything. Uh, I suggest that you throw the net over onto the right-hand side of the boat and you'll catch some fish. Now, these are experienced fishermen. Why would they take advice from uh, someone who appears to be a stranger uh, who's uh, on the shore? Well, I guess they may be thinking, maybe he can see something that we can't see or we've got nothing to lose. So they go ahead, they give it a go and they hit the jackpot. 153 large fish. And if you're a fisherman and you get a catch like that, you're going to count up every fish, aren't you? <laughs> For the record. You're going to count. There's nothing mystical about the number of 153. Some people think, well, what's the symbolism there in the number 153? And they come up with all sorts of mathematical conclusions as to what the secret message... No, if you're a fisherman, you count how many fish you catch. 153... So many that these guys, all seven of them, didn't have enough strength to haul the, the net onto the boat. It's an amazing catch, which just seems strangely familiar. It, it was a reminder of a time when, before Jesus' crucifixion, when they were with Jesus... And they followed some advice from Jesus when they had a dismal time fishing and he said, how about you go out into the deeper water and drop your nets there? And they caught so many fish. Do you remember what happened to their nets? Their nets broke. <laughs> their nets broke. And so even though they couldn't see this man clearly, it's early morning lights, he's 90 metres away, in verse 7, the penny dropped. Take a look at that. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken off part of his clothes. Presumably that makes it easier to fish when you're on a boat. And he put his garment around him because he didn't want to arrive on the shore with nothing on. And he jumped in the water, you know, whilst the others were left to to tow the full net of fish back to shore. 
Uh, back to shore where Jesus had a, a coal fire already burning and there's a fish on it. Jesus is cooking breakfast. That's a nice thought, isn't it? We don't often think of Jesus as cooking breakfast for everyone. Such a servant he is. Have a look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of them dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared or manifested himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, think about this for a moment. If they knew that this man was Jesus, why would they feel that they had a need to ask him if it was him? And then, why would they dare not ask him about that? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? I guess it's easier for us to, to look back at that and say, well, hey, that doesn't make sense. But they were in the midst of all of this. And it may be that Jesus' resurrection appearance was somewhat different. But nevertheless, trying to process in their minds and their hearts the, the, the whole event of the resurrection, well... Maybe they're thinking, we, we know this is Jesus, of course it's Jesus, but we really want to ask, is it really you? Is it really you? And they wouldn't dare ask that question. Of course it's Jesus. John states that this is the third time that the resurrected Jesus had appeared to these disciples. But the key issue in this passage is the relationship between Jesus and Peter, Simon Peter. Because there's a serious unresolved issue here, isn't there? Now think about Peter for a moment. How would you describe Peter's personality? Um, the words that come to my mind are enthusiastic, zealous, affectionate, um, passionate, impulsive... And you might have some other words that you could add to that list. I mean, think about it. He's the guy who, when he realises that it's Jesus on the shore, he's the guy who just girds himself and dives off the boat and swims to shore. Forget about the fish, forget about the boat. The other guys can handle that. That's Peter. He's the disciple who, when something happens and he doesn't know what to say... What does he do? He says something, whatever blurts out of his mouth. And at the Passover meal, it was Peter who boldly told Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. To which Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll actually deny me three times. So he's enthusiastic, he's zealous, he's impulsive, he's affectionate, he's passionate, more than the others. And yet when Jesus was on trial, uh, on trial for his life, it was John, it was Peter rather, who was afraid for his own life. 
And Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Now, this was a defining moment in Peter's life because to deny Jesus is a serious matter. Remember what Jesus said earlier on uh, about um, people denying him. He says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my heavenly father. This is a serious matter. And it may be that uh, Peter, uh, knowing that Jesus has resurrected, uh, maybe thinking, maybe hoping, well, maybe we can just let bygones be gone, bygones and just go on as if it never happened, but it needed to be dealt with. Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Uh, what are the these that he's referring to? Um, you know, is he, is he talking about his uh, fishing boat and tackle? You know, do you love me more than, you know, just going back to your old job of being a fisherman? Or is he referring to the other disciples in the sense of, you know, do you love me more than you love these, these other, other people here, these other guys? Uh, what does he mean? I don't think he's talking about the fishing net. I don't think he's talking about the other disciples. No, you see, Peter uh, had always kind of implied that his love for Jesus was greater than the others, than their love for him. And so in John's Gospel, there are actually two Greek words uh, which are translated as love. Uh, One of the words, uh, agape, uh, is a sacrificial, it's a doing kind of love. Uh, The other word, phileo, uh, is a sort of an affectionate uh, kind of love. And in our relationships, we need both of those, don't we? I mean, think about families. If a a parent shows their love for their child by doing things for them, sacrificially, but never shows any affection, there's kind of something missing there, isn't there? Uh, Or the reverse. If they're all hugs and kisses, but don't provide for their child, that's not great either. We need both. We need both the sacrificial and the affectionate aspects of love in our relationships. And in these verses, uh, both of these words are used. So in verse 15, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me sacrificially uh, more than the other disciples? And Peter answers, you know I love affectionately for you. And it's the same in verse 16. Uh, uh, Jesus says the same thing there. Do you love me um, in an active, sacrificial way? And Peter responds, you know, I love you 
in an affectionate way. And then in verse 17, Jesus asks Simon Peter, son of God, John, uh, do you love me? And he uses the word for affectionately. And Peter answers, you know I love you affectionately. Now, uh, it may just be that these two words are just being used interchangeably and that there's no real and doesn't really make any difference. But maybe it does. Because if we truly love Jesus, we want to have both those aspects of love, don't we? An affectionate love for Jesus with a sacrificial commitment to him. You see, it's possible uh, for someone to have one without the other. It's possible for someone to be highly active uh, in, a, in their Christian ministry and doing lots of things, but actually have no heartfelt affection for Jesus. Uh, or on the other hand, someone who might say, I, you know, I've got this really affectionate love for Jesus, so I really, 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 really love him, and yet not be committed to repentance, not being committed to sacrificially obeying and serving him, uh, even when to do so is costly. Peter had overflowing affectionate love for Jesus. But when it got tough, he denied that he even knew him three times. And so now, three times Jesus gave him the chance to say, I love you. Jesus twice asks him about sacrificial love and Peter answers by expressing his affectionate love. I guess that's because he's, he abounds in affectionate love. So how does Jesus respond to that? If you love me, Peter, this is what you must now do. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. So what's happening here? Uh, Jesus is, is forgiving Peter. He's forgiving Peter three times for his three denials. And what he's doing here is he's stating how it is that Peter's love must now change to become the, uh, not only the affectionate but the sacrificial love of a shepherd, of a pastor, of someone who feeds and protects and cares for God's people. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Many years later, um, Peter, uh, <clears throat> a, a more mellowed and matured Peter, would write to some church elders. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, writing to these leaders of God's church, Peter urges them to be shepherds of God's flock. And not to do so because of obligation or duty or whatever, but to shepherd God's flock willingly because they really, really want to. And not to be greedy for money and not to use their position of power for their own selfish interests, but eagerly serving and being an example to others. Waiting for the return of the great, uh, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. 
So what this means is laying down your life, uh, serving others above yourself because you put Christ and your love for Jesus first. And for Peter, being a shepherd uh, would actually involve laying down his life, not just in terms of the everyday commitment of his life, but in terms of physically laying down his life as well. And if you have a look at verse 18, we see a, a sort of a prophecy of this. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Where you do not want to go. And why did Jesus say this? Is he just talking about, you know, this is the difference between young age and old age? Well, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Jesus would, by, by which um, Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. In the ancient world, uh, the saying to stretch out your hands uh, was used um, to mean crucifixion, to be crucified. Uh, crucifixion, where a man would be led to, his, to the place of crucifixion with his arms stretched out as he carried the crossbeam of his own crucifix, just like Jesus did. Now, um, most likely, Peter was crucified in Rome about 30 years after. Reports that he was crucified upside down, uh, we don't really have clear um, and reliable evidence uh, on that. Uh, but Peter was likely crucified in Rome about 30 years later during the persecutions of Emperor Nero. Now, I want you to just uh, think about that for a moment because what that means is that for three decades he carried on uh, serving and proclaiming Christ with this prophecy in his mind knowing that he would die through crucifixion. Imagine that. Imagine you knew how you would die in 30 years uh, at some time in your life. That's Peter. But here on the beach after breakfast, it's still relatively young Peter uh, who speaks before engaging his brain. And so in verse 20, he's walking along with Jesus by this stage and he notices that there's another disciple that's following them close behind. That's the, the, the disciple who is described as being the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, which turns out in a couple of verses later to be the one who wrote these things down. So that's John, the one who'd leaned against Jesus uh, in the, when they were celebrating the Passover and said, who is the one who would betray you? And so in verse 21, uh, Peter says to Jesus, well, you know, uh, what about him? In other words, how's he going to die? Check out Jesus' answer, verse 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? <laughs> you must follow me. So never mind him, 
<clears throat> it's you that I'm interested in. I want you to be following me, loving me sacrificially. Uh, apparently, a rumour had spread, and from whose mouth, uh, we're not told, uh, but a rumour had spread that, um, uh, that John would actually not die before the second coming of Jesus because of what Jesus said here. And that could be uh, a little bit difficult, especially as you know, John was getting older and people thinking, well, Jesus is going to return pretty quickly now. Uh, and so in verse 23, John puts that rumour to rest by making it clear what Jesus said. He didn't say that this disciple would never die. Uh, he just said that, um, <clears throat> what is it to you? Uh, it's, you, you? You just follow me. So, um, we've now come to the end of John's Gospel. And it's been, a, it's been a good journey, hasn't it? I think it's been a, a fruitful journey. And uh, we've learnt many things. And yet it, it concludes in verses 24 and 25 by telling us two things about what we've read. Uh, firstly, it tells us that what we've read in John's Gospel is just actually a small sample of all of the things that Jesus said and did. Uh, in fact, uh, with a little bit of exaggeration perhaps, John says that if uh, we recorded everything that Jesus said and did, uh, the world wouldn't be big enough to fill all of the books <laughs> saying how great Jesus is. So what we've, what we've read is a small sample of the life, the teaching, the ministry of Jesus. And it's not made up. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a uh, con job. Uh, it's clear in these verses here that uh, what we have here is an eyewitness account written by someone who was there. Which leaves us all with just one question. How's your love for Jesus? In John's Gospel, we've learnt of uh, Jesus' love for the poor, for the sick, for the lowly. Do you love Jesus for that? Do you love others like that? In John's Gospel, we've learnt, uh, most importantly, of his death on the cross uh, to wash away the guilt uh, for our sin. Do you trust him in that? Do you love him because he's done that for you? And in John's Gospel, we've learnt that he's been raised from the dead and that he had earlier, uh, it, it said that after he'd raised from the dead, that he would be going to be with his heavenly Father in order to prepare a place for you, for your eternal destiny. Do you look forward to that? Do you love Jesus for that? Then if so, then love him, trust him and obey him with affection, with commitment, even though it may cost you your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to express our love for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his uh, committed love that he uh, gave up uh, his place in heaven, that he humbled himself, that he became a man born of Mary. 
Father, we thank you that he uh, dwelt amongst us in this uh, sinful world, uh, that he resisted temptation, that he went to the cross, and that he did indeed paid uh, the debt which we owed for our sin against you. We thank you, Father in heaven, that uh, death did not defeat Jesus, that Jesus defeated death, that his death had paid for our guilt, uh, that had been cleared, his sacrifice was complete, and that he's been raised from the dead. Father, we pray for each one of us now that we would name him as the Lord and the ruler of our lives, that we, like Peter, would follow him all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) 